Welcome back, kiddos. The Raven Looney, Jay Daniels here, announcing part two of a special two-part podcast on Conway Hambone. I hope you all brought a healthy musical appetite (laughs) here today because today's podcast is a sweet one. It's like a big old musical chocolate bar composed of all things Conway Hambone. You You want want to take a bite? bite. You know you want to. Conway Hambone's music is highly addictive. (laughs) Folks, while you lounge about in your velvet smoking jackets and your house slippers and your gym jams or PJs as we call them here in British Columbia, the Raving Looney's going to cue up a brand new unreleased track from Conway Hambone and you're going to hear it here. Exclusively on the Muffin Junkie, it's fantastic. It's called Blues Nun Instro. was a fantastic track. Thank you, Paul, for making it available to British Columbia's grooviest lo-fi music podcast. Right now, I'm going to grab a new tape out of the box of tapes that represent my uh, week with Conway Hambone over in the United Kingdom, my investigative uh, podcast journalist uh, adventure, if you will, uh, in an attempt to get to the bottom of the truth of what the band was about. As you will no doubt know if you've listened to part one of this podcast, which I know 99.9 of you have, and if you're the 1% that hasn't that skipped to this podcast, go back and listen to it now. Naughty, naughty, naughty. (laughs) But, you know, this cassette that I'm going to put in uh, 
has one of my favorite tracks on it. It's called More Light 13, and it's a remaster that appears on uh, Live at the Social, which is a sensationally great album by Conway Hambone. Let's hear Paul talk about it right now, and then we'll hear the track, and then afterwards we'll hear James Afford comment on the track. I just gotta say, Paul, that Live at the Social by Conway Hambone is stellar. It has nine solid tracks on it. All of them uh, great stuff. Um, In particular, one song that I really dig is More Light 13, a remaster that you did for Live at the Social. What could you tell us about this track, Paul? Daylight, or More Light, or More Light 13, as it's become recently known. Uh, the latest version is a uh, a remix, or a, or a remaster. I've got a tape with uh, the London Pride Sessions uh, written on the side of the case. And it used to be a, a Sunday afternoon thing where uh, there was nothing flashy. It wasn't sponsored by the London Pride or anything, or Fuller's or anything like that. Lisa would just turn up with a bottle of uh, London Pride with Rob, her brother. Uh, sitting on the back of a motorbike and I'd have a bottle of London Pride and uh, we'd just sort of uh, have a drink and have a Sunday afternoon uh, jam and uh, that track uh, came about I think it was uh, a friend of ours at the time uh, Marie who just came up with the line daylight I am dreaming daylight is never ending daylight it's like a dream to me that went over and over and over this uh, funky drummer beat that we'd nicked off of James that uh, he was uh, messing around with a pop elite self track and they'd nicked the beat off of James Brown and uh, so we nicked the beat back off of them and them and them and that was the days before sampling and I just uh, had a double deck tape recorder and you would play the drum break which probably lasted about four bars and then just release the balls button and keep joining it together until you had enough that you could actually play along to and uh, that's probably still in existence somewhere on my uh, uh, dying four track somewhere in the corner here Uh, and then it went a bit further it went a bit further on a year or so later we started incorporating it into our live uh, Sally's Hat and that uh, was a, a staple song of that set for many years. Uh, I think it's one of the first times we played it, the Brentford Red Lion. There was a chap there who worked at uh, B Sky B at the studios up the road in Isleworth, and he had some spare studio time, and I think he was leaving and going off to Rome or somewhere, and he had some spare studio time in the uh, at the uh, the Red Eye Shift, and uh, Lisa and myself went down there and uh, recorded uh, Daylight, as it became known then, uh, which is quite a nice version of it, uh, of lots of uh, acoustic guitars going on and a great vocal from Lisa. And uh, more recently, I say more recently, probably about three years ago, uh, Lisa wanted to try on a different key, and uh, that became known as uh, More Light. Yeah, we had the, uh, the lyric the hook line I went round and round daylight I'm dreaming etc etc and uh, obviously I've written some more more lyrics and it's sort of expanded on it over the years and uh, I see it now more as a track listening to it uh, I could I was trying to get a sort of feel to it of uh, that track from the musical hair from the 70s dawning in the age of Aquarius and 
Where's the Sunshine, etc., etc. It's got some fantastic bass playing on it. And the bass is going all over the place, and it's got that sort of like building sort of chorus thing that goes on. And uh, I could always imagine it as uh, a track in a sort of uh, hair hippie 70s type sort of musical thing. And uh, I think when I re-recorded it, I wanted it to, uh, I imagine at the time I wanted it to sound a bit like the sort of uh, the monkeys, as I do with a lot of my tracks with uh, got an acoustic guitar going along. I wanted it to sound like uh, I'm a Believer or something like that. Last Train to Clarksville. I think we're quite lucky uh, in the Conway Hambone setup is uh, having a singer who's uh, who can really sing. And uh, sometimes, you, sometimes you can tend to just overlook that and take it for granted that Lisa's got like a fantastic voice and uh, she comes around and just like uh, really nails it most of the time. And uh, in particular with that track. And in fact, actually, that, that track sat around on uh, sat around for a, quite a few months before I actually uh, got round to uh, do anything with it because I just got so used to hearing that track all the time and it, it, it became almost a little bit tired after a while. And I think uh, I got into some uh, Tubular Bell samples, not as in Mike Oldfield and uh, three slightly out of tune ocarinas, but uh, as in a Tubular Bell. Putting those on it sort of lifted it and uh, a nice sort of uh, cheap keyboard sound. Again, a, uh, a car boot sale find, That's little great. Casio. Yeah, the keyboard on that was a uh, Casio PT20. Uh, suited me, uh, not being a keyboard player, uh, where to the left-hand side you've got all the uh, one-touch chords marked out. And even bigger boon on this, you could hold down a button and get minors and minor sevenths and sharps, etc. And uh, whack that through uh, valve amplification, uh, compress the shit out of it, uh, put it through a Leslie speaker effect, and uh, you've got quite a big big organ. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, you've got quite a nice keyboard sound. Yeah, so it, that track doesn't really doesn't fit any particular genre. It's quite hard to pigeonhole that. Uh, it's not it's not a soul track. It's not a northern soul track. It's not a blues track. It's sort of folky. It's just got a uh, uh, I think just a uh, a great hook line that sort of crosses uh, crosses over in many different languages. That's probably the most uh, popular Conway Handbone track to date. Lots and lots of downloads that of that. Solid, sure. uh, can't see himself ever re-recording it again. We still play it live all the time because uh, it's a uh, breeze to play and it sounds great. Uh, yeah, I've got this version of it on Gemendo, which uh, I put up and then was never sort of entirely happy with it. It was uh, extremely loud. Uh, and recently done a, a, a remaster of it and uh, added some bongo drums and some clapping to the intro nice. and uh, I think that sort of picks it up a bit but uh, people tend to ignore that uh, if you go on Conway Hambone uh, and you'll see uh, more light remaster on Live at the Social album go for that one it's a little bit sweeter than the, uh, the other one but just as groovy I get the feeling that uh, if you like this track, you probably wear sandals and you uh, like your muesli. I may be wrong, but don't let that, don't let that put you off. Uh, here is more light 
13. Remaster from Live at the Social album.
You must try this salamander beak a la ketchup. Whoa, 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 Paul. Just, just, just a little bit, okay? Oh, that, yeah. yeah. Nothing quite says uh, classic English breakfast like uh, salamander beak. <laughs> but, you know, I guess the little guys uh, will regenerate those body parts anyways. They don't really need those. Oh, they look, uh, they look rather unusual. Oh. Um, Paul's good friend, uh, James Afford, is uh, seated right beside me. Uh, James, in Canada, we really don't uh, eat uh, salamander beaks too much. Uh, well, the regular populace, anyway. Um, could you do me a favor and uh, tell me if this is uh, very palatable? Would you mind trying it out? Here we go. Why don't you have some salamander beak? What do you think of this, James? Mm, yes, pretty good. Pretty good stuff. James, you seem to have survived and flourished uh, through the uh, salamander uh, beak a la ketchup. So uh, I'll partake in some, too, out of the spirit of kinship. Uh, but I have a few questions for you first. Now, you're an old friend of uh, Paul's, and uh, you uh, encouraged him to put his music online in the early MP3 days. Uh, you are also a gentleman with uh, impeccable taste in music, so I'm told by Paul. Uh, you have introduced him to the Nuggets Garage Collection and uh, Acid House. Um, could you talk a little bit now about how you and Paul met and about your early uh, musical uh, collaborations? Could you fill us in on all the details now, James? Um, anyway, I met Paul uh, many, many years ago through a mutual friend, I think, when he was working at the uh, National Archives over in Kew. Um, we, uh, we used to drink regularly on a, on a Friday night together. Um, I enjoyed listening to a lot of Paul's uh, early stuff, Growling Dogs Nash. He was one of the first guys I knew who uh, had a reel-to-reel -reel recorder and was actually knocking up some pretty good multi-track stuff in the early days. Um, we used to jam uh, regularly at this uh, this uh, National Archives. Uh, had a band uh, called the Dive Bar Band, which was more an excuse, I think, for drinking subsidised cheap beer and chicken korma for a pound, I seem to remember. Uh, the re rehearsal place was uh, was free to use, and we had, uh, yeah, many weekends we spent there uh, making music. We could jam for hours, just uh, playing the same notes, uh, same four notes for half an hour or so before we get bored. We'd all be swapping around instruments and generally making uh, making mischief for ourselves. James, let's do something really cool. Why don't we talk about the, the track uh, More Light Daylight by Conway Hambone. Now, Paul tells me that you were pivotal in the uh, formation of the song. Uh, it was, in fact, uh, based around a uh, loop sample that uh, you were working with uh, from James Brown. Uh, how was it uh, when your two styles came together, yours and Paul? How did it mesh? Do you remember these early uh, musical uh, collaborations? Paul and I used to share a house together. Um, he had a, an analog studio over one side of the uh, first floor in his bedroom. And I had a digital studio, PC-based. I used to chop up lots of samples and I 
occasionally we just get together and uh, mash all this stuff together to make a, a cacophony. Um, and that's how I seem to remember that uh, that track came about. Paul would always have uh, people coming round with like uh, didgeridoo players, bongo players, kazoo players coming round to uh, to jam with him. And I tend to be on my own in my little studio chopping up stuff because I have got absolutely no talent whatsoever for playing music. It's another junkie of Conway Hambo here to serve you tunes with your team! The I just stopped the tape uh, because I wanted to talk about a few things here, folks. Uh, first of all, if you're ever offered salamander beak, uh, don't try it. My stomach took about uh, four or five days to get over uh, a salamander beak. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't good. But what I really want to talk about now, folks, is about uh, Montezuma's Revolution, Volume 2. It's an EP by Conway Hambone, and it has an absolutely sensational song by them called Revolutionize, with a smoking lead vocal by Lucy Diamond in a 70s blues psych style, and it's closely related to the track More Light, and uh, Paul talks about that on this uh, cassette tape. So I'm going to put that back on now. Enjoy. This is a particular uh, delicacy of this year parts. It's heavenly yak breast. <laughs> no, no, don't put any more on my plate. I can't eat any more. Thank you. I, I'm starting to get really bloated here. Oh, sorry. We're back on again? Yeah. Um, Paula, you have a fantastic uh, EP with three songs on it called Little Montezuma's Revolution, Volume 2. Uh, let's talk about uh, one of the tracks from that album called Revolutionize. What can you tell us about that, Paul? Yeah, Revolutionize. That's a grand statement, isn't it? Uh, how the, uh, the lyrics to that came about. I think uh, I wanted to follow up uh, More Light and uh, daylight with something equally as uh, hair and uh, dawning of the age of Aquarius vibes. Uh, it might have well been the summer, so uh, I might have had a pot of muesli and my sandals on. Uh, the riff came about. Uh, I bought one of those uh, loop station thingies uh, that uh, I haven't really mastered yet. You see these people on YouTube who are a real whiz at these things. They start with a shaky egg going. They put that down and then they pick up a bass and pluck a few notes and then they uh, pick up a duck. No, they don't. Pluck. They pick up a guitar and uh, they get these uh, amazing build-up of tracks going and then do harmonies and bits and pieces. Uh, I don't think I'll ever be entering into the, uh, the Boss uh, Loop Station Championships in Las Vegas. Uh, but... Uh, I got this riff together on that with uh, just sort of sitting down, I think, in the summer and uh, uh, had this down in the house and was messing around with it and came up with the uh, the uh, guitar riff, two-part guitar riff, and uh, then brought it back uh, down here 
and then uh, sort of uh, started building it up to a track. It's in fact just the same three chords all the way through, and then it's got that little uh, break in it, the bridge bit, which sounds of a, a bit of a nod to the Rolling Stones. Uh, Rifferidge, Keith Rifferidge. Yeah, and then the the uh, bass line is just the same bass line going round and round and chopped up. Always interested to see if you can make songs out of uh, three chords and then you know, break it up and build it up along. Uh, yeah, this is one of my favourite tracks, actually. Uh, I quite like the way this one came out. Uh, it's got Leon playing a snare drum on it, just a snare drum on its own. Now I've got him to... Uh, it's got a few different snare drum things going on it. Uh, stop getting a, a bit technical again. Uh, there's a, a process called reamping, uh, which I found quite interesting. Whereas if you've got a drum machine and you've just got like a, a, a mechanical snare drum going along, you can uh, stick it back through an amplifier and then uh, reamp it with a microphone by sticking a snare drum on top of the mic on top of the amplifier and the snare drum that goes through the drum machine comes back out the amplifier and rattles the snare on the snare drum and uh, it's got a bit of that going on on it and also Leon uh, overdubbed another snare drum kind of too many snare drums uh, might end up sounding like Carnival Collective if you get too many of them going along uh, which is no bad thing and uh, what else we got uh, I really like Lisa's vocals on this uh, when it comes into the I think it's the second or third verse uh, it really uh, uh, things start hotting up and uh, I think she's got some really great sort of uh, almost Aretha-esque uh, overtones going on in this and uh, yeah Revolution Eyes Revolution Eyes be a sort of chain of stores possibly for uh, selling spectacles. Uh, I might have to get the copyright on that. Revolutionize. <laughs>
Welcome back, kiddos, and thank you for joining the Raving Looney here today and listening to part two of this very special two-part podcast, A Week with Conway Hambone. Now, uh, I want you to settle in and pull down the blinds. Uh, You don't want any interruptions. Will you take in the musical gold of Conway Hambone? Lock the doors. uh, Maybe take the phone off the hook or put it on call forward and ignore that uh, annoying neighbor that keeps hammering on the door wanting to borrow something. (laughs) You're busy. You're listening to Conway Hambone. And besides that, maybe Maybe you're walking around in your gold gold lame speedo and your White's Hills, can a guy get any privacy? (laughs) But that's a whole different kettle of fish, and a story we'll save for another day. Now I'm going to rummage again through this box of tapes. I'm looking for a particular cassette tape that has a great interview with a gentleman called Matt Kubik. Uh, This track I'm going to play for you from Conway Hambone from their Volume 1 EP is called Spectorizer, and it features Matt on lead vocals, and once I find that, we'll hear the interview with Matt Kubik. Channelize on the pieces of my heart the splinters and shards of resurgence hands Defending the circumstance And we move all that's black Don't put those pieces back Roll away the stone That is taking my home And now we
Now, the next gentleman here at the breakfast table we're going to talk to is Matt Kubik. Now, Matt's just uh, at the moment working his way through a healthy helping of hash browns. So, Matt uh, works his way through that. Uh, let me give you some background information on Matt. Matt is a uh, prolific songwriter and a guitarist, and uh, he normally resides in uh, Los Angeles, uh, but he's traveled here to the United Kingdom to uh, take part in this very special uh, taping of uh, material that's going to go into the uh, Conway Hambone uh, podcasts uh, to be podcast uh, in April uh, on the uh, Buffin Junkie Serves Tunes With Your Tea uh, podcast, British Columbia's grooviest lo-fi music podcast, by the way, Matt, um, now that you're almost done those uh, hash browns, and boy, <laughs> I don't blame you, they sure look good, um, why don't we talk about two tracks right now that you contributed uh, to Conway Hambone? Uh, you brought them over for Paul to uh, work on. Uh, Little Montezuma and Spectorizer. Uh, what was it like uh, working on those tracks uh, with Paul and uh, collaborating on the tracks with uh, Paul? Can you give us uh, your recollection of these uh, wonderful tracks? First of all, I just want to... Um congratulate you on your use of the word tracks multiple times um, sometimes I refer to them as records or songs or records but I think records sounds more 1950s soul area so so um, but tracks is fine let's work with that certainly we are indeed living in the digital age um, and track would be synonymous with that perhaps who knows um, just my personal thoughts and, and preferences but great yeah um, little Montezuma where do I start um, written and performed um, at various different venues and places and spots, uh, many of which it was written, strangely enough, in Israel, my time there, and largely um, about a slow, dull ache both in myself and an understanding of my... Uh, uh, ex-wife's sister's um, insatiable need and hunger for heroin um, and crack and all things um, nasty and pleasurable, bitter and sweet and things like that. Um, just couldn't keep her hands off the stuff, sadly, and uh, was forever uh, robbing from me personally and uh, rifling through my things. And, uh, and things like that so, so, so some interesting subject matter but it should always be remembered and should never be overlooked that sometimes heroin addicts can be really quite hilarious quite funny, quite amusing um, in their search and their goal for the brown stuff so we must take these things with a pinch of salt and um, you know uh, really I suppose um, you know love and forgiveness um, and hilarity and comedy often ensues in probably one of the greatest plights of the 20th century not including cancer although that could be said that you know, that wouldn't necessarily be the 20th century. That would have been over the last uh, um, several thousand years. And I don't want to set again the debate of the history of man and humanity um, and the origins of and thereof, uh, you know... Um, natural selection, creationists, um, evolutionists, um, who could say, who could comment. 
Um, so, anyway, anyway, back to the subject matter. I digress. Um, so that's little Montezuma, um, Spectralizer collaboration. Um, again, some humorous subject matter. Um, half written again from a deep longing and aching of my heart, and I was struggling with it until my late father died. And in between, after that, I took um, a small hiatus um, from the song. But then, um, when I could pick the guitar back up again. Um, put the chorus to it, but strangely enough had no lyrics. Um, but that's what I needed to complete the song. And then I kind of wanted to do a, F a Phil Spector kind of sound, and I was, I was stuck. I recorded that on a digital 8-track, um, again in my attic. And yes, brought it to Paul, whereby he put the magic on there, the sleigh bells, um, the plate echo synonymous with Phil Spector's wall of sound. Um, yeah, f fabulous tune. Um, currently reworking it and remarking Mastering it, um, getting out the glitches, potentially, um, well, certainly going to redo the vocals on that, and um, yeah, we'll resubmit it for mastering. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Paul's collaboration, um, absolutely vital. It wouldn't be the song that it is today, it wouldn't be the sound, the strings that we put on together, the technical know how um, in the, uh, the Stains pod, so I like to call it. And uh, yeah, yeah, two of my, my favorite tracks. I'd like to do a reworking of Montezuma itself. In fact, again, I'm, I'm doing some reworking on that. I'm going to punkify it. Um, obviously, an ode to a bird song currently with the multi track vocals. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's about all I can say, really. Um, yeah, looking forward to future collaborations.
So that was Little Montezuma, a classic track by Conway Hambone. Becomes even more remarkable when you realize it was done uh, via long distance. Matt uh, Kubik did the song, wrote it, and... Uh, put it on his laptop while he was in Hawaii and then sent it to the uh, Shed Studio where Paul put on the overdubs and did some mixing. <laughs> it was an international effort. I am of Conby Rambo and I love old rock and roll. Fred, you are a character. I hope that Paul and Ravi bought you a pint over there at your local back in the UK and passed along my thank yous for doing that for the Muffin Junkie. Right now, I think we're going to get back to the rest of the interview with Matt Kubik. Could you tell us, how did you meet Paul? And uh, Paul said to mention... uh, the state of the rock and roll department uh, before you became involved and uh, finally could you talk a little bit about uh, those legendary jams that uh, you and Paul had in your uh, parents loft yeah well first of all I want to say thanks for uh, having me on the uh, the show um, I appreciate the fact that uh, you took the time and the diligence to look into um, my Ponchons and preferences. Um, one, of course, being hash browns. You know, I, I love the stuff. I almost live off it almost entirely. Um, I have severe trouble and issues finding different sources of proteins and uh, vitamins and minerals to get into my diet. Um, so, anyway, I just want to say much appreciated in that regard. First, very well. Yeah, and, and secondly, I mean, where, you know, where do you start when? You know, history is being made. Um, you know, songs in the air, just floating around. Um, we're all completely um, unaware of their presence, and then just you know, the, the genius in ourselves and uh, corporate genius or genii, um, just there, ready to, to pick out a song out of the air and put it together. Um, and a lot of that, yeah, did start the rock and roll department back in 1997. Um, under the care of a, a Dave Nivett, I believe, who was our our boss, who was a, a very timid um, man. I, I believe he's dead now, sadly. Strange, um, you know. Hopefully not, you know, through to the rock and roll or the pressure of genius um, in his care. Uh, who would know? And sadly, we can't interview him anymore. But um, yeah, back in 1997, Western Geophysical in um, Hounslow, technically Isleworth. Um, whereby, probably as far as I'm aware, the only place you could still smoke indoors in a corporate office. Uh, So that was really um, the thing I was most excited about. And, of course, yeah, the days of pretending to do work behind closed doors, um, pretending to um, stick paper together to make pads with logos of Western Geophysical on there should have, would have, could have been rock and roll department, why not? So, yeah, just, um, yeah, very, very good time, time of great um, songwriting and prolific ideas and uh, listening to Greater London uh, Radio. I particularly remember the first time I heard the song uh, Going the Distance by Cake with a blatant Jimmy Page rip-off. And also, um... What was the other one? Uh, Gil Scott Heron, The Revolution Will Not Be Terrorised, which, uh, of course, um, continued um, to, to be a great source of inspiration in my life, perhaps Paul's even. 
Jan, in regard to in my uh, my, my parents' uh, attic, my loft, the third floor of uh, Broom Cottage in Woodham in Surrey, um, yeah, just a, a great time. Uh, drum kit in the ensuite bathroom area, I believe. Um, a shower room for a uh, microphone booth, a terrible place to record, really, in hindsight. Um, two tape four tracks um, put together um, to try and uh, bounce track to track to make as many tracks as possible before we could really ever get our hands on digital recording back then. Um, Gareth Williams, um, strange individual, I believe he works for the BBC now, on drums. Uh, Maximilian Fletcher, um, strange little man slept with my ex-girlfriend and uh, I put him out to exile for several years but we've, we've made up our differences it was a bit like you know Patti Smith um, uh, George Harrison and um, Eric Clapton of course became very awkward um, although I think I was a little less forgiving than uh, George Harrison ultimately but we, we, we got back on the right track in the end um, that being said then there was Adam Barrett um, who went completely mad after one too many um, acid tabs several years prior to us actually jamming, strangely enough, well, that's suspected, and not to be confused with Sid Barrett of Pink Floyd, two completely different people of the same genius, or genii, which is a word that I've used twice today and obviously isn't a real word. But, yeah, uh, interesting times. Paul was there with his, I would call, um, orgasmic, esoteric, ethereal sounds on the guitar which he would uh, achieve through multiple um, guitar pedals and uh, things of that nature very experimental time indeed um, you know I, I would I would certainly call it our um, um, bohemian days let's put it that way kiddos I got a special treat for you now no it's not extra rashers of bacon <laughs> Conway Hambone's gonna take you on a instrumental trip. This is a rare unreleased track called Jibblewalker.
Folks, a tape has just caught my eye from this box of tapes that you just got here. It's uh, got some fantastic stuff on it. Uh, indirectly, when Paul and I were chatting about his music, and uh, I was trying to put together a picture in my mind about what Conway Hambone was about, it came up that uh, both Paul and I have a shared mutual love for classic British TV spy series from the 60s and 70s. And Paul, in fact, has a tune that's going to be on this tape that's going to blow you away. It is worthy of a John Barry score. If you closed your eyes, you wouldn't know it wasn't John Barry. When I heard it played for the first time, I thought, two folders are coming on the screen in red and blue. But instead of it saying Danny Wilde and Brent Sinclair, it would say Jay Daniels and Paul Worsley. <laughs> And in my mind, I imagine me driving a red Ferrari, Dino 246, and Paul in his yellow, Aston Martin, DBS, V8. <laughs> oh, folks, it's fun to dream. Let's hear the tape and uh, the, the track that I'm talking about from Paul Worsley and Conway Hambone right now. Uh, hang on, Paul, we're back on. Now, folks, well, uh, Paul and I uh, took a break and the tape recorder was off uh, and we had our breakfast. Uh, we had a casual conversation about our mutual love of uh, the classic uh, British uh, spy and espionage series. Um, we talked a little about uh, Department S uh, featuring uh, Peter Wingard as uh, Jason King and all his mustache and perm glory. <laughs> that was a great series. And, uh, of course, Patrick McGowan as uh, John Drake and Danger Man. And, uh, and then we finished up by talking about uh, classic episodes of The Baron, starring an American actor, uh, Steve Forrest, as uh, John Mannering. Now that the uh, tape is back on, uh, Paul uh, has a, a song that uh, evokes uh, a lot of these uh, classic elements of these uh, this type of series. Uh, Paul, what can you tell us about this track that you're going to play for us now? Yes, the track Cold Spy Diva. Uh, I quite fancied doing a track that had the sort of elements in it of uh, the Persuaders theme tune of John Barry and uh, the Randall and Hopkirk deceased. There were some uh, great theme tunes in the uh, late 60s TV theme tunes that uh, featured the sort of hammered dulcimer uh, along with uh, sort of uh, analogue synths. And uh, I bought a hammer dulcimer. I think it's a hammer dulcimer. Uh, there was a shop called Hawkins Bazaar. Might still be around, but they they uh, sold some great uh, sort of toy slash uh, proper instruments. I wish I've got a couple. I've got an accordion, and I've got this. Uh, it's either a, a zither or a hammer dulcimer. I'm never too sure what they are. Auto harps, all in that sort of family. You can pluck them and strike them. A uh, bit like ducks, really. No. Uh, yeah, you can. Uh, this this one I uh, I played with some teaspoons actually. Uh, again, uh, and then sampled up uh, some of the good bits and uh, pieced it together and uh, added a. Uh, uh, it's not actually a, a synth. It's a, a bass guitar going through a uh, sort of synth effect to give it that sort of a squelchy uh, bass sound. But uh, 
yeah, quite a lot of the way it came out. And uh, the intro to it, which is just a sort of looped up harmonica, uh, I've actually got as a ringtone. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Here's uh, Cold Spy Diva. So bear with me, folks. Not right there, everybody heard that. Um, no, sorry about that. I'm going to forward it even a little bit more here. But here we go. Here's the uh, sequence with uh, Paul where he talks about the uh, surrealistic uh, cooking tips that he's going to give out. <laughs> this is great. I want you to all to hear this. And then there's a track on there as well that... Uh, from Conway Hambone that's just outstanding. Uh, Paul, if the rumors are true that have been circulating around the uh, breakfast table here today uh, by everyone that I talked to, uh, besides being an outstanding uh, musician, uh, you're also uh, somewhat of a uh, cook as well, and you have a particularly uh, scrumptious, uh, unique uh, recipe that you've come up with. Uh, could you talk a little bit about uh, that now, Paul? Uh, what I like to do with uh, flat batteries is uh, brew them. 
I find that uh, the uh, lead acid in the batteries uh, makes a most distinct formative breakfast broth. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's a, that's a little extreme, Paul. But uh, you know, uh, I can see uh, some folks like uh, spicy foods. I'm just uh, shocked at the extremity of it. But uh, I, I'm sure that uh, it uh, is an acquired taste. And uh, you know, once you've had some, you your stomach becomes uh, the lining of your stomach gets uh, accustomed to it. Uh, hang on, Paul. There's a uh, lady here with a plate of uh, something. Excuse me, sir. Would you like some haggis? God, you know, you know, I'll pass. Oh, that's like sheep intestine or something. Would you like to partake in some breakfast broth? Sure, Paul, hook me up. Anything's gotta be better than haggis. Splendid. Just <laughs> Must try this greased duck beak. Quail biscuits. Stop! 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 This is getting absurd. Jay, get up off the floor. Scottish waitress, get out. Ten kilograms of onions, please. <laughs>
Now, Paul and his wife, Allison, uh, were very uh, gracious hosts, and I wanted to thank them for uh, giving me lodgings while I was over in uh, England. And despite the fact that uh, they made me cut acres and acres of their property when I lost the theremin challenge, they withheld my passport until I did so. <laughs> they are great people. Let me tell you, you'll never meet nicer people. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Now, speaking of heart, Sonny and Elvin, Paul's sons, have also inherited Paul's musical talents, and they have a project, in fact, called A Fez of the Heart. And uh, I'm going to put in that cassette now, and we'll hear from Sonny and Elvin, and uh, we'll hear a track from Sonny and Elvin called Flog It from A Fez of the Heart. Hmm. Well, it's quite good. Make a great uh, breakfast cereal here in the UK. Mm. I got my uh, mouthful here, folks. Um, Paul, could you uh, ask these two fine young gentlemen beside you, uh, your sons Alvin and Sonny, about their uh, work uh, with you on a uh, project called um, Affairs of the Heart and uh, the track that they uh, did uh, called uh, Flog It. Oh, and I... Uh, Here's some uh, jelly babies and uh, some penguins for later for the boys. Don't tell Allison that I gave them the sweets. <laughs> Silence is golden. Oh. Elvin. Um, I was the one who started it. Have a sweet. You can't have one until you answer your question. Right, tell us all about a fez of the heart. Um, I play in it the ukulele and I wrote the tunes to it. Uh, what tunes have you written? Fizz of the Heart. Fizz of the Heart. This is Elvin of A Fez of the Heart, and you're listening to The Muffin Junkie, who serves tunes with your tea. What did you have to do with uh, Fez of the Heart? In the Fez of the Heart, I had to do the kazoo and and the drumming. And, oh, yeah, and some clapping. All of us done the clapping. Um, we're doing a new song called Bon Bon. When's that? Wait, March. March. Uh, what has, uh, what uh, commercial purposes <laughs> has uh, Fez of the Heart or Flog It been used for so far? Um, a curry paste advert. Curry paste. Washing. Ooh. Washing, uh, curry flavour washing up liquid. Yeah, um, it's been used on YouTube and... Yeah, it was, uh, what countries were they in? What was the washing up liquid commercial? Um, Brazil. Well, thank you, a fez of the heart. Ding, ding, ding.
Just a general uh, quantum physics talk. You know the usual stuff people do over. Paul and I were uh, talking about uh, some strange uh, distortions in the uh, space-time continuum that seem to be uh, well anomalies here in the uh, shed. And just a general uh, quantum physics talk. You know, the usual stuff people do over breakfast. <laughs> but since we're talking about time, uh, Paul has a uh, poem now by his uh, his son, uh, Sonny, that he would like to play uh, here. And uh, also a new track uh, from Conway Hambone that Paul will uh, lead you into that uh, involves time. So... Uh, Improvised uh, eight-year-old's poetry I found on the Viva uh, Zoom recorder lying around a house, and uh, you find out what goes on ticking away in a child's mind. I'm sure he won't thank me for playing this. I don't think he knows uh, he's even recorded it, but uh, now it's going out worldwide. This leads us in nice segue into a brand new track called Ticking Away. Stop the clocks, as a man once said.
What a happening track, folks. That was fantastic. Conway Hambone has some amazing new material. And we're not done yet. You're going to hear some more. Uh, but before I play another brand new stellar track by Conway Hambone, you're going to hear from Conway Hambone's drummer, the percussionist, Mr. Leon Smith on this tape. Just going to get it out right now, put it in, and then we'll uh, hear from Leon and then the brand new track, which he'll talk about. I'm about to talk to the gentleman seated directly to my left here at the breakfast table in the Shed studio. Uh, he's wearing a very cool-looking uh, Josh Holm T-shirt <laughs> and eating a healthy stack of Jolly Boys, uh, or pancakes as we call them in British Columbia, where I'm from. Uh, I'm, of course, talking about Leon Smith. And Leon is a uh, drummer, in fact, a very talented drummer, and uh, he's played along with uh, Paul Worsley and Lisa Diamond and Conway Hambone a number of times. He also uh, does his own uh, musical projects out of his own studio. I'm going to talk to him now. He looks like he's finished up his Jolly Boys. Good morning, Leon. Good morning, Jay. Leon, could you talk a little bit now about how you met Paul Worsley? And uh, came to work with Paul musically in the Shed studio. And uh, just uh, how did you go from uh, doing the drums, which you're exceptional at, to excelling at uh, vocals and uh, being on a vocal track uh, with Paul? Could you talk about that right now? I first met Paul a long time ago whilst playing drums in a band with Robin and Ravi. And we always said that we'd do some work together one day. And then finally, around two years ago, I finally decided to pop down the shed with my drum kit. We decided to record some drums and then put the music to it afterwards. So I did a load of beats and we got one instrumental song and then we found another song and I had a vocal melody and Paul suggested that I lay down a vocal track. Excellent. He seemed to like the, the vocal track and we sort of messed around with it a little bit and then a short while after that he decided to invite me around again to record another song that he'd written. He pressed play on the uh, computer, disappeared out of the room to make a cup of tea. I listened to the track a couple of times, got an inspiration for a uh, vocal melody and then I decided I also had a chorus in mind. He then came back into the studio and realised that he'd put on the wrong song and was shocked that he'd played this other song to me as it wasn't complete. <laughs> it was all over the place and it was mainly just an instrumental idea. But I convinced him that it could be a song and what I thought was the verse is what he thought was the chorus. And so it went. Well, Leanne, you know that sometimes the best stuff in rock and roll happens uh, surely by coincidence. It's all very chaotic and spontaneous. <laughs> and you, of course, are referring to the uh, track Shake Me Down. That's uh, a brand new unreleased track, a fantastic track by Conway Hambone. And I'm, I'm going to, uh, when I get back to Canada, I'm going to put it on this podcast when it uh, comes out in April. Uh, tell us some more about this track. We then uh, decided that I'd try and lay down some vocals and for some reason this crazy south coast vocal came out of me which i've never heard the likes of me singing before and then before i knew it i was doing a, a four-part almost female backing vocal along to it which i guess sort of i must have had Jimi hendrix's long hot summer 
in the back of my mind when we were re recording it. Paul then mixed down the whole song, then sent it to me, and I then cut it all up, rearranged it all so it actually resembled a proper song. And then that was it. The birth of Shake Me Down occurred. And you know, Leon, when I get back to British Columbia, I'm going to uh, add that track, Shake Me Down, to the uh, podcast that's coming out in April. It is fantastic. Now, my final question for you, because I know you want to get back to your breakfast, is um, what lies ahead for you and Paul? Uh, Paul mentioned that uh, you might be exploring heavier sounds together. What can you tell us about that? As for the future, I think Paul and I have a lot of work that is due to be done. I think I'll be taking my drum kit round and also we'll be trying different instruments, guitars, keyboards, may even try a little bit of electronica, I think. And, yeah, I think it'll all work really, really well, mainly because even though we listen to different music and have different influences I think we're both obsessed with how things sound and feel it seems to be the overriding factor of everything if it doesn't sound or feel correct we don't want to do it unfortunately the, the shed has the ideal vibe for us to make some great great music Kiddos, I've got a out-of-sight treat for you. It's particularly cool. It's a brand-new track by Conway Hambone that's going to make your body shake with the intensity of an earthquake. <laughs> Hold on tight, baby, because this track's got a sweet kick to it. It's called Shake Me Down, and it features Leon Smith, the uh, drummer for Conway Hambone, on lead vocals. So... Enjoy.
Now, when I was over in the Shed studio, uh, Paul went through his uh, rarities and uh, also songs by his friends and musical collaborators. And he found the tape that had uh, a couple tracks from Angelfield. Now, Angelfield is made up of the Afford brothers. That would be Mike and James Afford. And uh, he's got two tracks on there from Angelfield, which are great stuff. So I'm going to push the play button now, and you'll hear Paul talk a little about Angelfield, and also James Afford will lead us into a couple of the tracks. Oh, that was a great show, I agree. Oh, trippy stuff. Oh, we're back on here, Paul. Uh, sorry, folks, I'm just going to have a swig of my tea. I'm parched here. <laughs> That's better. Uh, well, well, the recorder was off, uh, just in case why you're wondering why I'm laughing. Uh, Paul and I were talking about the uh, classic uh, British series from the 60s, uh, Adam Adamant. Uh, we both love the uh, series. It uh, featured Gerald Harper. Uh, he was a Edwardian adventure, and uh, he's cryogenically uh, frozen into hibernation, but he's revived in the 1960s, the swinging 60s. <laughs> I'm sorry to digress. I'm bad for that. Right now, let's uh, switch gears. Paul, why don't we talk about uh, Angelfield? Uh, you went through the vast vaults here in the Shed uh, Audio Library, and uh, you found a uh, track from Angelfield uh, that demonstrates the classic uh, Angelfield sound. So, Paul, take us through this track before we play it. Uh, this is the Afford Brothers in all their glory. It's uh, Angel Field, and uh, my favourite track of theirs, uh, Exhibit Number One. I'd like to do a cover of this one day.
Folks, James Afford is here, and uh, he's agreed to say a little something and lead us into the next Angelfield track. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of the mighty Angelfield, I present for your delectation the George Bond theme. I thank you. <laughs> Folks, this next cassette tape that the Raving Loonies about to put in for you uh, will appeal to all of you out there who are listening today that are into ska, reggae, dub, and uh, rocksteady music. You are going to dig this cassette tape big time. It is chock full with interviews with Paul Worsley talking about Conway Hambone's excursions into these genres. 
and there's lots and lots of musical tracks by Conway Hambone, all in these styles. So why don't you chillax in your PJs on the couch as you uh, hang out with the Raving Looney and uh, Conway Hambone, and perhaps your old pal, Mary Jane. <laughs> Let's hear the tape right now. Perhaps the uh, best way, I thought, that we could uh, demonstrate to the listeners of just how much uh, reggae and dub has uh, influenced you, Paul, and the music of uh, Conway Hambone is uh, if you could uh, lead us into a track from your 12-track uh, album of uh, reggae and uh, dub tunes. It's available on uh, com for free download. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, the album and... Uh, the track we're going to play, Paul. Uh, the Skanky Panky album featuring the track uh, The Rocksteady Mod Can Can. Uh, I called it that because uh, it's a Rocksteady vibe track uh, and it's got a slight Can Can feel to it and uh, a little bit of, uh, I think, March of the Mods going on in there. That's a sort of a 60s instrumental track. Uh, the piano was recorded around at Lisa's. Uh, she's got an old upright, and uh, it's uh, ever so slightly out of tune. And it's got that nice sort of uh, barroom, uh, barrel, barrel house piano uh, type vibe going on, and it lends itself to the uh, to that sort of uh, reggae sound. And uh, yeah, here it is: the Rocksteady mod and the Can Can, and the March of the Mods. The Rocksteady mod can can, and you can uh, itch and twist to it.
Now, a lot of your material, Paul, has a uh, reggae dub vibe to it. Could you talk a little bit now about uh, how much of an influence uh, these genres were on you and on the music of uh, Conway Hambone? Reggae dub. That's uh, another sort of pond that uh, Conway Hambone dips his toe into uh, on his allotment. Uh, reggae. Sometimes you think, should you be doing reggae? There's white reggae, and then there's the term cod reggae. I don't want to start talking about fish and chip shops here, that would just be crass. Uh, cod reggae, I don't know who came up with that term. I think it might pertain to, if I'm not wrong, typically tropical. Ooh, we're going to Barbados. Uh, Captain Tobias Wilcox has got a lot to answer for. Uh, in the late 70s, there was uh, bands like The Clash and The Ruts and the members dipping their toe into the reggae pond, uh, albeit probably with uh, Mikey Dread on board for The Clash uh, and all their reggae uh, experiments on Sandinista. Uptown top ranking, got to mention that. That's uh, pop reggae at its finest. Janet Kay, Silly Games, and uh, the Fulser Police and Thieves. It's quite interesting that uh, in the UK it's got a interesting musical, interesting reggae heritage in the UK. Was it Wilsdon's home or Harlesden, home of Trojan? And then you got the whole dub scene. And there was that guy who could uh, master dub plates. They were an old couple, probably in their 80s, probably somewhere in, uh, uh, somewhere in North London, a suburban street. I think it was Dennis Bavell. I found out that they had a cutting lathe, and this guy could uh, master reggae to keep all the low frequencies in there. And uh, like they could in Jamaica. And some great footage of uh, these dreads turning up, and there's like chaps on a Sunday morning with their lawnmowers and other people out washing their uh, Hillman imps, and uh, then they go through to the back room, have a cup of tea, and uh, yeah, he fires up the mastering lathe, and uh, off they go. This is End of the Pier. Lyrics by Robin Dimond, vocals and melodica by Enigmatic Lucy Diamond, I had some arrest of it by Paul Worsley, Conway Hambone, The End of the Pier. <laughs>
I mention mouldy old dough? Mouldy old dough has got a similar vibe to some of the reggae that was out in that, that sort of time. The double barrel Dave and Ansel Collins has got a similar vibe. And uh, I don't know if skinheads were into mouldy old dough. Probably not. Uh, I always thought the uh, the lady from Mouldy Alto was uh, she looked a bit like my nan. I always thought she was uh, Mrs. Mills. I don't think she was, but uh, yeah, that was recorded in a front room, so that's that's fine by me. Fantastic track. Uh, when I used to watch Top of the Pops, well, I'm I'm from that era where music was just. You know, a whole whole universe of stuff. You know, you could watch Top of the Pops of the uh, Lieutenant Pigeon on there, T-Rex, the Scaffolds doing Lily the Pink, Clive Dunn doing Grandad. Uh, I don't know if Clive Dunn... <laughs> Dunn is Grandad. That's not very nice. Uh, St. Winifred's School Choir. The Van der Volk theme tune. And uh, a big influence on uh, myself as a guitar player uh, for some reason it's a bit it's far off it's out there but it's always it's always been in the back of my mind if I pick up a guitar uh, I don't know the guy's name I think I might have met him oh, I met his brother I went to school his brother's a band called Hudson Ford or the Straubs and they were a, a, a big part in me wanting to play an acoustic guitar uh, I'm a union man I've always referred to that as like bunging music. It's bunging. We've got a kick drum and the, it's like someone banging a kick drum and the, the guitar almost playing a sort of skanky thing on the offbeat. And boom, we go. And uh, my nan had a lodger, Scottish guy. What's his name? Alistair. And he had one of those uh, Woolworths cassette decks, little keyboard cassette decks. And, all, and I remember going into his bedroom and uh, hitting play on that. And. Uh, pick up the pieces by the Straubs who uh, I think were Hudson Ford uh, came on and uh, just rewinding that back and playing and playing I was taken to Woolworths on my 8th birthday and I was bought an acoustic guitar which uh, I have demoed or I'm going to demo uh, and I came out with an acoustic guitar a copy of Clive, not Clive Dunn I came out with an acoustic guitar a copy of Get Down by Gilbert O'Sullivan and 20th Century Boy by T-Rex. Yeah. And then took the guitar to school for my first guitar lesson. Yeah, guitar lessons at school were interesting. Uh, this guitar I got from Woolworths, the audition one, uh, was meant to be a classical guitar, so it's meant to be strung up with plastic strings. This one had metal ones. And uh, I also had a plectrum with it. It came with a plectrum. So, uh, as you had in those days at the school concert, uh, probably about 25 kids strumming guitars, 25 kids playing recorders, one chap playing a bongo drum, and a nun conducting from the front. And uh, I remember playing my guitar, I think it was La Cucaracha, and uh, I had a plectrum, so what happened was you could hear the guitar, and I remember being shot this look from this nun just steely blue eyes as she walked up to me and uh, 
confiscated my plectrum from me and we looked around at all the other children with their, their big water blisters on their thumbs. Uh, I never got my plectrum back, but I did improvise with a Yahtzee counter for uh, a few weeks after that. Yeah, that's, that worked quite well. And then there's the whole, the whole backstory with that guitar. Yeah, and then when I went to uh, secondary school, they didn't recognise guitar as a, as a bona fide instrument. <laughs> they, uh, it, 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 was, it, had, it wasn't in the orchestra, so uh, no guitars in the orchestra. Uh, and uh, I didn't play the guitar from when I was, what, I saw from 11 up to the age of about uh, 14, 15 again, and I still like, picked it up bits and pieces. Uh, every time I'd hear Hudson Ford on the radio doing I'm a Union Man or Steelers Will doing Stuck in the Middle with You, I might be sort of uh, encouraged to go and pick it up and uh, try and emulate the sounds I heard. I'm still trying to make sense out of uh, my musical influences. I'm sorry, folks. I guess I really should explain. I was just using my medically prescribed inhaler. I suffer from asthma, and it's uh, flared up again on me here at the uh, breakfast table. Uh, so if you'll all excuse me for that uh, brief uh, digression, but uh, I feel much better now. My lungs are better. <laughs> are you going to eat all of that uh, there, Paul? I'll have some of that. Well, thank you. But right now, Paul, why don't uh, you talk about this uh, next uh, reggae-based track that you're going to queue up, and uh, so let's get to that. This one features uh, more out-of-tune piano in a parlour. Uh, it's called uh, Road to Brentford. Uh, it's influenced by a cream egg incident on the top of a 267 bus uh, on the way home from school in 1976. I believe uh, Brentford Road uh, is where Studio One, uh, the famous reggae studio in Jamaica was. There's a link to reggae.
Some of the junkie and Conway Hambo here to serve you choose with your team. The Junkie. Folks, here's a tasty audio treat for you. Some audio candy by Conway Hambone. It's a brand new uh, unreleased track called Crumblin'. And uh, remember, you heard it first here on the Muffin Junkie. And thank you, Paul, for making it available to our podcast. Uh, Paul is going to uh, talk about it uh, when I hit the uh, button here on the uh, recorder. And you'll hear on the cassette tape, Paul will lead us in and uh, then we'll hear the track. Crumbling by Conway Hampo. I'm out of breath mints here. Damn it. Does anyone have any uh, breath mints? Uh, these uh, grilled keppers are doing in my breath. Oh, God. Salty uh, oak smoked herring for all you uh, North American listeners. That's what they are. Anyways, let's get back on topic here. Now that we've hit the record button, and I'll start now. Um, right now, folks. Uh, Paul is a, uh, well, a relatively new track here from uh, Lucy Diamond, uh, a.k.a. Lisa Diamond of uh, Conway Hambone fame, uh, a fantastic uh, vocalist. Uh, and she has a song that she wrote, uh, well, co-wrote with a uh, musical friend of hers, and Paul is going to tell you about it. And uh, it's uh, about unusual uh, subject matter, the topic of the song, but Paul will get into that and... Uh, I'll uh, go to the next table and just see if they have any mints, because, wow, wow, that's powerful. Uh, this is a great song. This is uh, Crumbling, written by uh, Lisa and uh, Lady Jane Stevenson uh, there in Brighton. Hello, Jane. I believe it's about uh, becoming cogitated and uh, waking up in the morning and realising your uh, slippers smell of urine. And uh, But... Uh, don't let it put you off. This is crumbling.
Now, folks, we are at the end of this special two-part podcast on Conway Hambone, a week with Conway Hambone. And I want to thank the following people. Uh, first and foremost, Paul Worsley for taking the hours upon hours of time to do interviews with me on these uh, cassette tapes while I was over in England. And uh, thank you, Paul, for providing all the rare and uh, unreleased and new tracks that uh, you allowed us to play exclusively on the Muffin Junkie. And thank you for allowing me access into the mysterious Shed Studio and uh, giving us new insights into uh, Conway Hambone. And of course, Paul, thank you for creating the new Glambone theme for the uh, Muffin Junkie. I love it. Very T-Rex. I also wanted to thank uh, Allison Worsley for her hospitality. Uh, Paul's wife, of course, as uh, I was over in England. And uh, thank you, Sonny and Elvin, collectively known as the Fez of the Heart. And they're also Paul's sons. Thank you guys for the great interviews. And uh, I look forward to hearing your new track, Bon Bon, when that comes out. And of course, no thank you would be complete without mentioning uh, Lisa Diamond and Leon Smith, also of uh, Conway Hambone. And uh, thank you, Matt Kubik and Mike Afford and James Afford. And of course, Lady Jane Stevenson. Now, folks... I had so much fun over there in England. There was so much material, so much left on the uh, cassette tapes. I have a blockbuster announcement for you. I have decided the Muffin Junkie is going to have a third podcast about Conway Hambone. <laughs> we didn't even scratch the surface yet, baby. They are deep cats and kitties. There's so much more. They have an experimental side that's going to Blow your mind. And we're going to get into that on that third podcast, uh, which will take place, as I said, two or three weeks from now. And uh, it will be called From the Sublime to the Ridiculous. Folks, in order to lead us out, I'm going to hit the play button. And you're going to hear uh, on this cassette, Paul talking briefly about sampling. And then we'll hear an amazing track by Conway Hambone called Herbert Fontaine. Have a fantastic weekend, everybody, and thanks for listening to British Columbia's grooviest lo-fi music podcast and this special two-part podcast on Conway Hambone. And be sure to look for the third podcast on Conway Hambone coming soon. (laughs) Take care, everyone. Uh, Yeah, sampling. What tracks of mine have involved sampling? Well, some of them have sampling in and some of them don't. Uh, like I said, uh, if I've uh, if I record a track, I'm feeling particularly lazy and I can't be bothered to play it over and over. I'll chuck it in the sampler and uh, and then once you get it in the sampler, uh, I've got a sample, an old hardware sampler that's probably about I mean it's probably about 15, 20 years old now. It's a Yamaha sampler. If anyone's interested, uh, it's uh, an SU700. It's a it's a big metal box with lots of buttons on it. And it's got some, uh, it's got like almost like tape transport controls. It's a fantastic sampler, but it's a shit sequencer. Uh, it's just all over the place. And it's one of these things I've got a love hate relationship with it. Uh, uh, and sometimes I, I, I don't go near it, and other times I can put something into it and it starts coming together, and I'll use it 
as in so much as until a point where it pisses me off so much I can't use it and then I'll go back down to the sort of linear recording thing of just plugging a guitar in and uh, playing from A to B uh, I tend to have my recording process if there is a process is uh, I don't tend to work on one track if I'm working on one track I'll, I'll work on the track uh, so long as it's uh, it's uh, interesting me and it's got a vibe going to it but uh, I try to have uh, I normally got about two or three things going on at the same time and uh, and I'll go backwards and forwards to them so they will remain fresh and sometimes you record tracks and they're not going where you want where you where you think they should be going so you leave it and then you might come back to it uh, six months later and uh, be going through I've got like a folder I've got a call it's like a, a, a skip where I'll chuck stuff in that's not really happening and then you might come you might come across it again a couple of months later and uh, it, it, you've got like a, a, a fresh fresh pair of ears on it and that happened with the uh, Herbert Fontaine track that was a track that uh, had sampling and live playing in it. I had the guitar riff and uh, recorded that and then that got put in the skip folder and then it was revisited about six months later and uh, had this ocarina bought for me for uh, Father's Day and uh, haven't been able to master the ocarina but what I did was played loads and loads and loads of ocarina over this track and then sampled off bits of it, and then uh, you can probably tell if someone's not actually playing an ocarina from A to B. Wild Thing's got a fantastic ocarina break in it, where you'd probably stick a guitar solo. There's this whistling uh, instrument going in the middle of Wild Thing, and that's the ocarina going in that, which sounds like really, really funky. Herbert Fontaine uh, was a play on words uh, of the sweet Sherbet Fountain. Oh, the shopping in there. Uh, a supermarket and uh, they'd uh, bought out sherbet fountains again if you take the S of a sherbet you get herbert and uh, if you pronounce fountain as fontaine hey presto you've got herbert fontaine uh, stick a uh, an ocarina for father's day uh, over the top of it or in it or over it uh, and then you've got the track Herbert Fontaine. Uh, I think I see Herbert Fontaine. Actually, for a while, I I think there was a, there was one day last year where I went from Conway Hambone to Herbert Fontaine, and I changed the name. I think it was on Gemendo where I've got most of my stuff. Uh, I changed the name from Conway Hambone to Herbert Fontaine and then the next day changed it back to Conway Hambone again. Uh, I don't know why, but uh, I'd like a T-shirt with Herbert Fontaine on it, done in the, the uh, Sherbet Fountain uh, sort of typeface. Uh, maybe Mike could uh, knock up some of those. He's quite good at coming up with uh, uh, ideas for T-shirts. could possibly ask him about that. Uh, he is Herbert Fontaine. Mm-hmm. 